the first couple minutes of Sunday School did not get recorded, so I just want to uh, tell the opening illustration that we told in Sunday School, and then we'll connect to the regular audio. Uh, Jerry asked about how we can differentiate or distinguish justification from sanctification in the New Testament. And I, I gave the illustration of R.C. Sproul in his conversion, and you may have heard this story, but it's just a wonderful story to think about. R.C. Sproul was, I think he was 18 years old, college freshman. He was not a Christian. Uh, he had not a lot of ex exposure to the, to the Bible. He and one of his friends, maybe a roommate or something like that, were going to go get in their car and drive to a nearby town, which was sort of infamous for not checking IDs at the door for bars. And so he and this friend were going to go to this neighboring town and go get drunk at these bars and <clears throat> have a good night, they thought. And as they went and they got in their car, they're about to leave, they reached into their pockets and they realized that they were both out of cigarettes. So R.C. runs back in with his friend into the, into the, into the college dorm room. And if you remember back in the day when you used to have uh, cigarettes in sort of almost like vending machines, and R.C. put in his, whatever, 25 cents or whatever it was and punched in the numbers and uh, got his cigarettes and he was turning to go back out into the parking lot. When a guy called to him from the lobby, I think it was, a couple of guys were in the lobby, and one of them was sort of like a star on the football team, and he was older than R.C., so R.C. had some immediate respect for this guy. So R.C. and his friend go in to go see this guy, and they were having, of all things, a Bible study right there in the lobby, and they called R.C. and his friend over. They set him down, and they started walking through texts of Scripture, and uh, R.C. says, I, I admit to you that not many people probably uh, have this verse as part of their conversion story, but he showed me a verse in Ecclesiastes uh, that says when a tree falls in the forest, where it falls, there it lies. And R.C. said under the illumination of the Holy Spirit, he saw his life like that tree in the forest that had fallen. It was now lying and rotting. And uh, he knew that he was going to waste away in his sin and he needed a savior. And the man there, the, the young man there explained to him the gospel uh, clearly. And R.C. went up to his dorm room and into the darkness of the room, he went in and knelt down on his knees and he said, God, please forgive me of my sins. And he said when he stood up on his feet that night, he was justified. He was declared righteous before God, and he has never become any more or less justified since that first moment. He says, now, at that moment, he knew almost nothing about the Bible. He had never read the Bible. Over the next few weeks, he read through the entirety of the Bible. He read through uh, the Bible over and over over the next few weeks, started reading Christian sermons and all this kind of stuff, and had a deep experience of the holiness of God, which changed his whole life and ministry in the future. He grew greatly uh, spiritually over the many decades uh, that, that followed him, another, what, 60 years of Christian living before he went to heaven uh, at age, I think, 78. But R.C. said that moment as a college freshman with no knowledge of the Bible, he got down on his knees, he knew just enough of the gospel to know he needed Jesus, and he said, God, save me. And when he got up to his knees, he was completely justified, completely declared righteous. The righteousness of Jesus was credited to R.C., and R.C.'s sin was credited to Jesus, and he was completely forgiven and made right with God. And none of his spiritual growth since then has made him more justified. So, justification is a legal standing. It happens entirely upon initial faith in Christ. It cannot be made more or less. It is complete upon conversion, upon salvation. And then, not until then, but at that point, after you're justified, you'll begin the lifelong process of sanctification. Sanctification can look a little bit like the stock market, up one day, down the other, but over time, this, this up and down motion of our sanctification, three steps forward, two steps back, five steps forward, two steps back, over time, 
we grow. And over time, things get better. We, we grow in our love for God and others. We grow in our love for the Word of God. We grow in our love for, uh, for Christian community and for the local church. And these things, over time, become stronger and stronger and stronger. So justification is a one-time legal act upon initial saving faith in Christ, and it is complete for those who trust Christ. Sanctification, lifelong process with ups and downs, starts and stops, but over time, God is always making us more like Jesus, and the verse for that is the classic Romans 8, 28 and 29. God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and then it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so God is working all things together for our good, which is making us more like Christ, and that is the lifelong process of sanctification. Now we'll head to the real Sunday school recording. You might see in your little in that um, in that little spot uh, the differences between the two. Um, it's a legal standing with sanctification's in, um, in um, internal condition, entirely God's work. Here's where Papa and I were talking. It's a little sanctification's a little more complicated because we cooperate, and anytime we're involved, it's going to get complicated. So God takes care of the justification, but then we cooperate in sanctification, perfect in this life, justification like RC, not perfect in this life, sanctification, and then justification is the same in all of us. If you are justified, nobody's more or less justified, but sanctification, certainly there's a different progress that happens to those who are maybe older in the faith and have known the Lord a longer time. Scott, any um, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I just thought at the outset here, this is something I'm sure I've mentioned um, multiple times before, but this is something that Sinclair Ferguson said. I just think this is foundational that we need to remember. He said sanctification flows from the gospel. I just think it's so helpful to remember. Uh, he, he said growing in holiness and sanctification requires that we put down deep roots into the soil of gospel. We've got to be soaking in the gospel to propel us out into growth. And just a quick thing on this, in Ephesians chapter 3, I'll read a little bit of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. Some of us have looked at this in, in, in a book by Carson, but here's the, the, the prayer from Paul. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read this real quick. Paul's praying that uh, the Ephesian believers, verse uh, 18 of chapter 3, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he's praying that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's not praying that they would love Christ better. You know, that's a wonderful thing to pray. He's praying that they would grasp God's love for them in Christ. That they would have strength to grasp it. And Carson tells this powerful story. Now, the story is so powerful, you could miss the, the application of it. So let me try to make sure we connect the application. He tells this story about one of his uh, coworkers. The guy's name was Perry. He was a seminary professor with D.A. Carson. He, this guy's named Perry, and his wife had uh, two biological kids, and they fostered, I think, 30 children over the course of their, their parenting days. And this particular story takes place when they had their two biological daughters, they had a couple of foster kids, their agency called them and said, we have these two twin boys, they're three and a half years old, we desperately need a home for them. And they said, we can't take them, I and mean, we have four right now, we can't handle these two other kids. And they just pleaded, just please, please, please take them, it'll just, we likely think it'll just be for six weeks that you'll have them. They finally said, we'll, we'll take them. He said, these two three and a half year, year old twins came into their house and they were just terrified. They came in, you know, heads down. They, the night came, and they, they put these two kids to bed, put them in the room, closed the door, and they left them there, and they were silent for 30 minutes. And this guy, Perry, was thinking, 
what in the world? They're not making a sound. He opened the door. He goes in, and they are weeping silently, soaking their pillows with tears silently because they were afraid, I think. What they discovered was that these two twin boys had been beaten multiple times. Now, they're only three and a half years old, been beaten multiple times in the previous homes that they were at. So they were tested psychologically to see how they were, and when they were tested, it was determined they were irremediably emotionally damaged. There was no way that these two kids were going to recover emotionally. Well, those six weeks that they were supposed to have them turned into three and a half years. They had them for three and a half years, and then at seven years old, they were adopted by a Christian family. Well, when they were seven, they were tested again, and they were tested emotionally normal at seven. When they had said they were irremotably, they were not going to be able to recover, and then Carson asked this question, what made the difference over those three and a half years. And this is where he makes his point. He said, what made the difference was the context, they were raised in the context of those three and a half years of disciplined, generous love. And so then here's the application. Real deep Christian maturity will happen when we grasp the limitless dimensions of God's love for us in Christ. So we must immerse ourselves in appreciating the grace of God expressed to us in Christ. That's how we're going to grow mature. We've got to have the love of Christ. We've got to be able to grasp it or we're just not going to grow in sanctification. Be sanctified, Papa. You know, I was just thinking, um, we could imply, and Mark, you mentioned um, justification in, in R.C.'s case and then sanctification, but uh, uh, sanctification itself, that word is a New Testament word. I think it appears six times, but sanctified, sanctifies, and um, being sanctified is an OT term. Uh, it, it, it appears as many times in the New Testament as it does in the Old Testament. God declared uh, the, um, the Sabbath to be holy, separate. Sanctify means to separate, to cut even. And, and, and so that term is used of the temple, of the burning bush, I'm holy, take off your shoes, uh, of the high priest, of his garments, of the, of the holy of holies. And, and so, but we didn't have this picture of Justification and sanctification joined until the New Testament. We had in Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel, of course, the promise of the, of the new birth, but it was not realized. And so it's just, it's, it's, it, this is not a new term, though, in the Bible. And so it, it, it is included in the Old Testament. Yeah. How can we fight the idea? Because sometimes I think in, because of our, the sinfulness of our heart, we can feel like, well, wait a second, yeah, I've kind of arrived. I kind of know what the Bible says, or I know enough about this. How can we keep our foot on the accelerator of sanctification from our part of it, the active part that we have in that? How do we not grow dull to just kind of, you know, cause, or maybe even address the kind of let go and let God mentality that there sometimes is? Hmm. Papa? May I? Uh, on page 329 in your book, there's a little chart, uh, the process of sanctification. And as you see above the conversion line, there's sort of a jagged road until up to death. Uh, and he, uh, Grudem says, I've shown the process of progress of sanctification as a jagged line, indicating that growth in sanctification is not always one directional, but that progress in sanctification occurs at different times, while at other times we realize we are regressing somewhat. Then he, then he lists some things. You mentioned Sproul and, and the scripture. That was, that was in, in my one aspect of my life I can remember, the word takes prominence. Suddenly it comes alive. It's speaking. 
And so he mentions that, that, that the lack of growth sometimes can be from bad teaching, uh, lacking good Christian fellowship, and we need to be in good Christian fellowship. Pay little attention to the word. Prayer may go actually for many years with very little progress, but this is not the norm. So we, that's our participation in this process. And, and, and if we're hungry, God will speak to us through his spirit and his word. So. Mm. Either Mark, Scott, you got anything to do us? Where do we, when we're growing dull, when it just feels like we're not being sanctified, what, what's, the, what's our role in that? I mean, we're starting to buy, at the, the moments where we grow dull or we're slowing down spiritually, in those moments we are, we're starting to believe things that are not true. Uh, we're starting to believe that true and lasting joy and happiness can be found outside of God, outside of His will for us, out, outside of His Word. Uh, we start thinking that, you know, maybe there's a sin that we start sort of breaking, you know, it's almost like, you know, talk about... Uh, taking a wild animal and trying to break it into your house, like, you know, uh, domesticate it in your home. Uh, we, we take a sin and we try to let it live in our house and not, not destroy anything, but inevitably, because sin is a wild animal, it will eventually begin to wreak destruction in our house always. It's destructive. How often, Jerry? 100% of the time. 100% of the time, sin is destructive. It may not look outwardly destructive in worldly standards, but inwardly, spiritually, it is always corrosive, destructive. And so, ask questions. If I am spiritually dry, one is, am I just being lazy? But laziness is attached to believing lies. You know, I, we're not lazy about the things that we care about, are we? No. If, if, you, if you're really passionate about something, you're not, it's not going to be hard to give time, interest, money, attention to that thing because it really matters to your happiness, to your well-being. You know, with whatever it may be, you, you get into it, you think about it, you meditate on it, that's what you're all about. If I'm getting lazy spiritually, there, I'm believing lies about Christ. I'm believing that, that I've kind of got what there is to get there, and now I can move on to greener pastures mm-hmm. somewhere else. And, and so I, I pay less attention to Him. I start paying more attention to what? It could be any number of things, just whatever it could be, whatever it may be. I, I start casting my gaze on other objects because I think that's really going to make life better. That's really where, where life is to be found, not in Jesus. And he, he begins to feel stale. He begins to feel boring. The Bible starts looking like black marks on a page. You just don't care what it says anymore. You, you read it less and less. You care about it less and less. You want to spend less time around passionate Christian believers. Why? Because you don't want to be confronted by these things and you kind of want to drift off. And so we need to be constantly, all of us, 100% of us need to be constantly uh, on guard against those tendencies. Yeah, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think, I'm just thinking when I'm spiritually dry, one of the things I want to do is just what I said about the, the gospel, if sanctification flows from the gospel, one of the things I want to do is I want to go back to the cross. I want to go back to yeah, Calvary. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I can never look at the cross without that truth prompting my sanctification. And when we come there, I mean, I love what you said last time in Sunday school about Spurgeon, I think, said we, we fight our sin with the spear that pierced Jesus, that something like that. That's such a powerful quote. Because we go and we, we meditate on what, what he suffered. I was just thinking when I was working on my sermon on uh, the crucifixion from Luke's gospel and just having to, to force myself into the crucifixion account and just meditating on it over and over, afternoon after afternoon, it was just amazing. To, just the, the coldness goes away. Worship comes in. The affections are raised. I mean, you're, I would just moved again and again, especially it was the darkness this time. Just thinking about, like, the, the darkness covered the land. Well, what does that mean? Well, it was signifying, God was signifying his presence in judgment on his son. And when you think about that for just about five minutes, you just said five minutes, it's like the spiritual dullness begins to fade. Worship begins to exude out. And, I, and you want to, you get up and you want, I want to love my wife better. I mean, you want to fight your sin more. I mean, I would just say, come back to the cross over and over and over again. It, there's always something fresh at Calvary. We just got to spend some time at, at Calvary. Yeah, Papa? I think accountability is important too. I, I, I think small groups, uh, Bible studies, yes. those types of things. I don't mean with 30 people. I'm sorry, no disrespect. <laughs> but I'm talking about accountability where you can look someone in the eye and say, hey, 
I'm the man, or you're the man, or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that is motivational, especially for guys. I know I've had more experience with teaching guys, and, and guys need that kind of accountability. And it'll spur you on. Now, you can speak to Fight Club, Absolutely. for example. No. So, well, let me just jumping off some of that. Um, we talk about this once in a while. I think we need to mention it again. It's been a minute, maybe. We need to find things in our lives uh, that, that, that really, for us, stir our affections with truth about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to get mystical here, but, but th this is something I think that's genuine. You, you, you find books or articles, find, find uh, sermon clips, or th particular things that have really struck you and really stirred you personally. And, and I almost have a collection of these things. I don't talk about them publicly. I got a collection of particular books and, 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 and particular articles, particular chapters of books, particular pages of books and stories from books. I have them marked off in my, in my room. Uh, in my study. And so when, when I really need something, I'm dry. I go to one of these resources and, and nine times out of 10, I, it's just gold. It's just gold. You, you go back to these reliable things. And you know, every few months I come back to the same ones. I'll, I'll come back to ones that really remind me of the beauty of Christ's grace and remind me of the beauty of his holiness and his forgiveness, his patience. And you just, you find these things. It might be um, a story. It might be a hymn. It might be whatever, but you have these things that have really been used by the Lord in your life personally. And you want to fill your life with things that stir you towards Jesus, that things that really get at your affections, and um, it may look different for different people, but find things that really stir you for the Lord. Yeah. It's like you're fueling. You go to a fuel, you're empty, so yes. you go to the fuel station, you get filling station, and you get filled up, and, yes. and it works. I mean, it's just not a gimmick. It works. And don't you think, even if you had a list of promises, yes. just from the Word that you just go back and you re-establish um, those truths in your mind, because I think you're right, Mark, is we forget, and we're quick to forget, where we need to just bathe our mind back in all those promises, and then it starts to, to rev us up again to the truth of God's Word. Would you say, I don't think any Christian, I don't care how famous they are, how greatly they've been used by the Lord, there is no Christian in Christian history who can go seven days without communion with the Lord and be doing well spiritually. Seven minutes. Seven minutes. But, but just think, I mean, a couple of days where you're backing off from these, we call them the means of grace, the way we get God's grace in a particular way through devotion, through community, all these things. If you back away from those, if I back away, anybody backs away from those for two, three, four days, I guarantee you, your irritability is going to skyrocket. Your impatience is going to go way up. You're going to be more crabby, more complaining. You're going to become more angry at people. You're going to become viciously angry at people. You're going to be eaten up by thoughts that you should not be eaten up by. Why? Because we're neglecting the means of grace. And so we, just like you can't go without food for a week and be feeling great physically. You cannot go without spiritual sustenance for day on day after day and, and just think, well, I can coast and make it. Doesn't matter what mountaintop you've been on, get ready. Because if we don't keep going, you got to eat meals every day. And spiritually, you must commune every day. Uh, and, and over time, that will either uh, grow or it will decline. Big part of sanctification, Papa? Um, I was thinking about the, the, the verse you co-authored, verses you co-authored with Paul uh, Romans 8, 28, Jerry, and, and all of this. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We've already discussed calling. But this next verse, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Hmm. That's it. That's, That's sanctification. sanctification it. That's right. So the, all conformed. things are working, as we talked about, I asked Jerry this morning, how was all his moving parts going? <laughs> and I said, I said, God is actually in the parts business. You know, he's, he's, he's bringing all this synergy, all these disparate uh, elements together 
for our good and his glory. And we couldn't ever imagine doing that ourselves. Now, we like to try, but he's a master at it. So ultimately, he is responsible for sanctification. Isn't that good? And every one of those, Papa, is, is good for our sanctification. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. Whatever right. trial, whatever um, joy you have in life right now is just tailor-made for your sanctification because he who began that good work in you will carry it on to completion. He will. He's committed to that as your father in heaven. Scott? Yeah, well, I was thinking about the word of God. Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And this is one of the big ways, which y'all are already talking about, this is, is through the word of God. And I, I was thinking, anytime you meet someone who's extremely godly, you know what's behind the scenes in their life. You know you have, there's a lifetime of someone who's committed to the spiritual disciplines when you meet a very godly person. I mean, you just know that because it has how it works. That's, you're dedicated to the disciplines. And I know I've told this story before and maybe in a smaller setting, I think when we were on Zoom on a Hebrews thing about my dad who when he became a Christian, like the word of God just became, like he loved the Bible, but he, he started this plan and it's over 50 years now where he's been committed to this exact same plan. He reads the entire Bible cover to cover every year, but he has his sort of, it's like an hour of his, his time alone with God. He does the same basic thing. And I've told this story where Liliana and I were leaving our neighborhood and my dad's uh, office was on the corner of Faith Press. It was right down the road from us. And we were at like 6 a.m. The sun wasn't even up. We turned out there and his light's on in his office. And I, I know what's going on in that office. I do not have to go up there to see. My dad is reading his Bible reading plan. He is going to pray. He's going to pray for his family, us. He's going to pray for the spread of the gospel in specific regions. And then he's going to uh, sing hymns. I mean, it's an hour. Like, this is 50 years. Why is my dad so godly? Because he has committed himself to the discipline. I mean, we, we've got to be committed to, I know Grant Crane has talked about once he got a plan, like the Bible reading plan, where you, instead of just going, I don't know where I'm going today, but having direction, it's just so helpful to have a plan in place and commit to that plan. I mean, this is how we, we grow. And there's so much more I can say about the, the word, but that is baseline. We've got to have that. Yep. I like that word discipline. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, it implies maybe work and workouts and push-ups and stuff, but it also involves uh, the, the spiritual growth and process and that we're involved and we need to dis discipline ourselves like your, you know, like your dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it would be important to touch on what's God's role in sanctification and what is our role. We've kind of touched on, on ours, Philippians 2, um, 12 and 13, maybe worth turning there. This is just fascinating how the Lord puts in God's sovereignty and man's responsibility right next to each other um, in two verses. Mark, you've pointed out where this isn't the only place. There's numerous places where this is, where this is the case. A little bit of a mystery, I think, of how this all works, but um, great to think about. Therefore, my beloved, this is Philippians 2.12, as you have always obeyed, uh, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that would be fear and trembling if that was all, if the next verse wasn't in there, right? If that was all up to us, I think I'd be a bit terrifying. It would, no, it'd be more than terrifying. And it would be like, oh boy, I don't think we can do this. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. So both the Lord and every one of us is involved in sanctification from this, from this text. Could we touch a little bit on what is God's role in this? Alan's reminded me over and over and probably a lot of us over and over that sometimes this has been backwards, especially maybe in, in the church, um, at least the church around here. 
where we would say, and I'm not talking about North Avenue, but where we would say justification, if you hear somebody's testimony, oftentimes it sounds like they did it, right? It's the testimony is mostly about them. I did this and I did this and I did this. And then you get to sanctification and they're like, oh, no, no, let, let go and let God. Now this is all up to God. And we say, wait a second here. Maybe that's backwards on how that works. What's God's role? Well, we just got through reading a few minutes ago in Romans 8. It's, it's his ultimate. He's, he has oversight, and he will make it happen. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, uh, with Philippians, there's the God's, uh, our, God's responsibility and our man's responsibility, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility explained there clearly. But it is a joint process. But overall, he's the superintendent. Good. He's in charge. Yeah. Scott or Mark, any more on that? Uh, Can I say one? Yeah. Excuse me. I just thought about this. And here's the way he does it. One way, discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, he uses discipline. We, we don't 12. like to talk mm-hmm. about discipline because we don't like, even Hebrews says we don't like discipline. Mm-hmm. But um, godly parents discipline their children. And God will discipline us if we are a son. That's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. So. No, that's good. Um, <clears throat> We're just kind of throwing a verse, but it just stay in Philippians. But the, a verse that we often will talk about around here is, is 2 Corinthians 3.18. I think it's a wonderful verse on sanctification. Uh, Paul writes, first of verse 17, now, where the spirit, uh, now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree, one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit does what? He transforms us into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. How? As we are beholding the glory of the Lord. So that, that's, just, that's, a, that's a way of saying we begin to naturally imitate what we think is beautiful. Mm-hmm. This is true. Like, you know, I've, I've given the silly illustration of a child watches Batman or Spider-Man. Who do they want to dress up as? They want to dress up as Batman or Spider-Man. They see something they think is glorious and they want to imitate it. That's just natural human nature. A kid watches baseball and their favorite baseball player, guess what? They're wearing his jersey the next week. They got the baseball gloves, just like that player. Why? Because what you see is glorious. You want to look like, imitate. You want to act like it. No one has to tell a child during halftime in a football game to go outside in the cul-de-sac and throw the football. Why do they do it? Because they want to imitate what they're enjoying. It's just human nature is like this. We become like what we worship. To quote G.K. Beale. And I think this is absolutely true in our growth. We don't mainly grow by white knuckle, grit your teeth, crowbar yourself into holiness. Because that's not really holy. I mean, we, we need willpower to kind of keep ourselves from, from stuff, and we need willpower to constrain ourselves. But ultimately, spiritual growth should be, I am looking at Jesus in the Bible and in wonderful books about the Bible. I'm looking at Jesus and the Holy Spirit illuminates those words so that they're not just marks on a page. They are compelling, glorious, beautiful, attractive, inspiring, moving, all those things. And we are deeply stirred by the Jesus we see in God's Word. And what happens? Suddenly, you just realize that the sharp edge you had with your friend earlier in the day is gone. Have you, have you, have you had this happen? You know, I, I say a sharp word maybe to my kids or somebody, my, somebody, and then I have a quiet time. And after my quiet time, without having to choose, the sharp edge just seems to have been dulled. Have you ever had that experience? Just like you, you, you're feeling embarrassed about what you said an hour ago. Like, Kelly, I'm so sorry. I should not have said that that way. Please forgive me. I'm sorry about that. I, what was I thinking? But there's something about just staring at beauty that makes you become beautiful. You, I want to be careful how we talk about this, but you see the glory of Jesus, you become more like his glory. And so when you see his patience, like when, when, mm-hmm. when, when you see the patience of Jesus, Sermon on the Mount has just ended, 
Matthew 8, 1, he comes off the mountain. A leper comes up to him, no doubt timid and afraid. There's a big crowd. He comes up to Jesus and says, uh, uh, if you will, will you, heal, will you please heal me if, it's, if you're willing? And Jesus looks at this guy and says, if I'm willing, I am willing. Be healed. And Jesus, seeing that, the gracious condescension, the beauty of Jesus' character, the gentleness of his character, the, the grace of who this person is. What kind of being are we dealing with here? The, 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 the endless care and compassion for those without a shepherd. And when you're moved by that, suddenly you begin to look a little bit more like that later that day. And, and it just, that, that's what the Spirit does within us. So we are working out patience that, guess what? God worked in us. As we looked at Jesus, he worked patience in our heart, and we begin to act it out. We begin to work it out. And I'm not saying, if you don't feel like it, don't do it. It's not what I'm saying. If you, if you don't feel like being patient, guess what? We have to grit our teeth and be patient anyway, but that's not ultimate patience, is it? I mean, we got to do that. But say, I, mean, I think C.S. Lewis said, if your leg is broken and you have to use a crutch, so be it. But much better if you can walk with both legs, right? And so similarly speaking, if we have to use willpower like a crutch to kind of get through a day, that's okay. I mean, we got to do that if we got to do that. But it's much better to not have the crutch of willpower to actually be walking in the Spirit, to actually have the real thing uh, in our life. Scott? Yeah, I mean, that's so foundational. Like seeing, seeing the glory of Jesus, we want to be drawn to that songs about Christ, Christ-centered books, all that stuff. I mean, Spurgeon is so good. I mean, you can find people that will help you, you get the gospel. I mean, I could mention the Spurgeon one. I, I've mentioned it before about that he has that sermon on that then they did spit in his face and just this short little bitty sermon, but it's just, it so grips you. You see the, the, the humility of Jesus and you're, you're just transformed as you get this. So just again and again, we got to go back to resources like that. But again, I, I'm just thinking about the word of God in terms of our sanctification and thinking about using memorization. I've talked about this recently, it's just been a convicting thing for me, is memorizing verses, but not just any verses, but specific verses that are dealing with specific sins, and it, it can just have a profound effect, like Colossians 4, 6, about let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Having that in your, in your head, if you str- I mean, all of us are going to sin with our tongues, like every single day, so let's load in our minds these verses that your, the Holy Spirit may prompt you before you even speak. I want to speak graciously. When you're tempted to speak harshly, that, that comes up. Or do all things without grumbling or disputing, Philippians 2.14. Stuff like that. Just fill these into our minds to, to help us fighting sin. I think that's, that's a, another important topic to, to mention. Uh, it's huge, Papa. Um, Gruden mentions on, on 3.32, and I think this is really important. There's, uh, you're talking about our role. There's a passive role in sanctification, the idea of yielding to God. I like that word, yielding to God, uh, trusting him to work in us, to will and to work for his good pleasure, what the words that we just read. Uh, but there's also the active role where I think you mentioned fighting sin, uh, the, the uh, reading the word and using it and through the spirit to uh, uh, combat sin. And it is combat. It is war. Uh, Greg talked about it the other day, a soldier trains for war all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not that he's in war all the time, but he trains for war for that eventuality. And, and we need to do the same thing. We need to be ready. Yeah, no, that's great. When Scott, when you were talking about it, I think of uh, Josh Chronic and Sam are meeting with the guys to, to get a little workout and to memorize scripture. And I just think those verses that those young guys are memorizing are going to pay eternal dividends in their sanctification and five billion years from now, that will have saved them. They will have stored up so many treasures in heaven, saved them from so much sin mm. to fight with. And the sanctification comes through that. 
through the memorization, through meditating on the word day and night, observing to do according to all that's written therein, then God's going to make our way prosperous. Then we will have good success. Mark, where are you at? I just, just don't, you don't have to turn here, but just, uh, I remember hearing, you know, not hearing, reading Jonathan Edwards, didn't hear him. <laughs> He's been gone for a while. But the Jonathan Edwards uh, had a sermon where, if I remember correctly, he basically said one of the most astonishing miracles Jesus ever performed was, and you could stop and you could guess and you'd say, well, raising Lazarus from the dead would certainly be there, or the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, you may think of a number of them. But he said, well, certainly one of the most astonishing miracles Jesus ever performed is almost never spoken of. We barely mention it. He says it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, if there was ever a time where Jesus should have called down wrath and vengeance, hmm. it was on the Roman soldiers who were gathering around him to arrest him. Arrest God. And what happens? Peter, a little bit, you know, living up to his reputation, doesn't know when. He's, he's running when he shouldn't run, and he's swinging swords when he shouldn't be swinging swords. Peter pulls out the sword trying to, can we be graphic here? He's trying to get this guy's head to, well, you know. He's trying to, yeah, he's trying to kill this guy, and he misses the head, and he takes off the guy's ear, right? It's Malchus' servant, I think it is. And only Luke records this miracle, but it is breathtaking. At the very moment, if I was Jesus, I would say, okay, angels, let's go. Kill all these people. This is absolutely the highest injustice that has ever been performed in the history of the human race. You talk about injustice in the world? This is the greatest injustice ever done. Call for justice right now. And instead, he leans down and he picks up this guy's ear and he puts it back on his head and heals that man's ear who is trying to arrest him. Edward says, at this moment, you see the combination of infinite majesty and complete humility and condescension coming together in that miracle. It is the last thing you would ever expect from God in the flesh, and that's the character of Jesus. When you see that, are you at all stirred? Are you at all moved by that? Like that that's the character of our Lord, and like that needs to melt our heart until we become a little tiny bit more patient in our everyday life. When we're standing in line, and the person behind the cash register messes something up, and you're late, and you got to go, and you don't snap on them. Instead, you go, I totally understand. Like, I, I totally get it. Uh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Where, where is, where is the, the love of Christ, the glory of Christ coming out in our daily Monday afternoon? Where, where, where is it showing up? No, that's good. Mark, you had um, some neat insights from the motives to obedience. Page 333, right toward the end, uh, Grudem's talking about motives and, and maybe things we haven't thought about very much. What do you have for us? I mean, it might just be worth mentioning a few of these just because it is good to hear multiple motives for holiness. Uh, if you look at the, if you have a book, 333, under E, Motives for Obedience to God in the Christian Life, I'll just read through part of this uh, out loud here. Christians sometimes fail to recognize the wide range of motives for obedience to God that are found in the New Testament. He has verses for each of these. Number one, it is true that a desire to please God and express our love to Him is a very important motive for obeying Him. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. But many uh, other motives are also given to us. Number two, the need to keep a clear conscience before God. So if our conscience is bothering us, do we, do we confess that to the Lord? Mm. Number three, the desire to be a vessel for noble use rather than for a dishonorable use and having increased effectiveness in the work of the kingdom. That was in our Second Timothy series uh, from the summer. Number four, the desire to see unbelievers come to Christ through observing our lives. Mm. Uh, th that should be a legitimate, strong motivation in our life to live consistently before, other before unbelievers. Number five, the desire to receive present blessings from God on our lives and ministries. Uh, number six, the desire to avoid God's displeasure and discipline in our lives, sometimes called the fear of God. 
Number seven, the desire to seek greater heavenly reward, which Matthew, Luke, and other places talk about uh, storing up treasures in heaven. Number eight, the desire for a deeper walk with God. Number nine, the desire that angels would glorify God for our obedience. Uh, number 10, the desire for peace and joy in our lives. And number 11, the desire to do what God commands simply because His commands are right and we delight in doing what is right. Any yeah. insights on those? I, I only, only thing I want to say without uh, addressing a particular uh, one is that these scripture verses that Grudem always includes in his book, we need to read those. In other words, you can, you can look down there and say, wow, there are a lot of references. Read those because that'll make that point come alive and it'll give you a scriptural foundation and background for it. So, yep. Scott? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if this is one of them, but this is, I and mean, there's so many in the Bible that you could use. I'm thinking Galatians 6, I'll just read a few verses. Do not be deceived from verse 7. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And that's a great motive uh, for obedience is you're going to reap what you sow. If I give in to this sin right here, I'm going to reap what I sow. Mm -hmm. Spiritual dryness is coming. uh, Lack of joy is coming. But if I obey God in this, there's going to be joy. There's going to be peace. And and we know this from experience. Like if I give into that gossip, there is that stickiness that almost immediately comes. It's that dryness that, oh, I can't believe I did that. But when we obey, there is this peace almost that comes. There's this joy in doing that. So that's a massive motive, I think, for obedience is that like the Ferguson would say, take the long-term view. In the moment, you're thinking right now, but think long-term, what's going to happen if I give in to either of these choices in front of me? No, that's, that's for sure. Papa? Um, I was thinking um, that, again, about God's um, responsibility in this whole process or oversight, and uh, it's not one of these verses, but uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's a, that's a real confidence builder. When you're feeling down in the dumps and, and you don't think you're, you're growing, he's going to do it. He's going to make sure. Uh, yep. And Colossians 1.29, uh, always a favorite with both of these, uh, what our struggle and God's role in the same verse, for this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all of his energy. So he's toiling and he's struggling and it is hard work to be sanctified, but we're always using his energy. And I think you guys have put this so well today that if we really are bathed in God's word, if we are seeing his beauty, then we will be motivated that motivation will come from him, and that um, we will that energy that he powerfully works within me. So that is God. What he will do, what he has promised to do, is to give us the energy to be sanctified. And so when we are growing discouraged, go to the Word, bathe your mind in Scripture, talk like Mark said, find a sermon. Maybe talk to somebody to pray for you. So many ways, but don't stay there. You don't have to. You don't have to. The Lord has given us the means to be continually sanctified, and he who began that good work will carry it on to completion. Any final things that we could think about? Just uh, uh, last thing here, maybe. Um, 
It was pointed out, I was hearing somebody talk about this, in the, uh, at Mount Sinai, in Exodus, the end of 33 and beginning of 34, remember Moses says, I want to see your glory? And, you know, puts him in the cleft of the rock. God says, I'm going to put my hand over, and then I'm going to walk past. You'll see my back for a brief moment. You cannot see my face and live. And he said, I will proclaim to you my name, the name Yahweh. He's going to define himself. And um, I won't read the whole thing. You, you know the passage probably. But when, when the Lord walks by, remember, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for thousands. Now, just, just stop for a second. God is going to define himself. And here's what he says. Yahweh, Yahweh, his name, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now, he also talks about punishing the guilty. I'm not leaving that out. But just think about this. When he defines himself, the third thing he mentions is slow to anger. When we have failed, which we will in different ways this week, know that the God that you are repenting to, the God you are running back to, is a God who loves to be gracious. He's a God who loves to be merciful. It's in his name. I am the God who is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. So we, we must turn from sin because it's going to ruin us, turn back to the Lord, and no matter what we've done, no matter how we failed, his arms are open wide to his own because the Lord loves to be gracious, merciful. He, he loves to be slow to anger and abounding in his covenant-keeping, steadfast love to his people. Tremendous. Thing else. I might not learn as much from sophomores as I do from sixth graders, but the sophomores are pretty insightful. And the quote of the week this week from the sophomores is one girl said, we were talking um, about the three enemies, Satan, our own evil heart, the world. And she said all day long, I don't know that I'll forget this right away because it's pretty impacting. She says, all day long, I am in a battle against myself. Amen. And we are the ones that put on, the, I think what she was saying is, we're the ones that put on the brakes on sanctification. God wants you sanctified. There is no doubt about that. We know from his words. So don't put the brakes on that. We're the ones that will do that by not passively or actively going after the Lord like we, we ought because he's, he's there and he wants to, wants to help us. Scott, would you pray for us? Sure. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful uh, for these times to uh, gather here in this room and to discuss this Grudem book and to open your word and to read from your word and to, to learn from your word. And uh, Father, uh, what a topic sanctification is. Uh, we're thankful for justification. Uh, the story that Mark shared about R.C. Sproul, what a powerful story. At the, the moment he believed, he was completely justified. And what a reminder that is. Uh, and then sanctification begins. And uh, we're all in that process as believers. And Father, I pray that we would uh, want to grow more and more in Christ's likeness. Help us to live in light of eternity, that, that uh, our days are short here on this earth. And in light of eternity, help us to to spur each other on into, on, into love and, and good deeds and uh, help us to remember that the, the phrase that Jerry Bridges says, dependent responsibility. Uh, we are totally dependent upon uh, the Spirit. As Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So help us to remember that. But we're also responsible to, to act. But, so, and like Paul, he, he worked harder than anyone else. Yet not I, but the grace of God in him. So I pray that we would be faithful to lean into you and, and to plead with you for, for grace and strength to help us to grow. And I pray you'd give us a pastoral concern for other Christians in our church, that we would uh, delight to see people growing in godliness, that we, we would love to see people growing, and that we would do all we can to help each other along in this journey of sanctification uh, and help us to be gospel-centered people, where we, we love to spend time thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has suffered for us. Help us to be able to grasp uh, a little bit better, uh, the love of Christ, 
for us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a sanctifying week. Thank you.